When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Jake Brennan from Disgraceland, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Rock and roll. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, with the show. Is this the real life? Or is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Yeah, I do that to honor the great William Shatner, Captain Kirk, who I've been told many times that uh, my delivery emulates every once in a while. So um, what can I say? I, I, I was born and raised on, on Star Trek. Uh, very important to me. So it's no surprise that it comes out of my DNA every once in a while. Oh, so why are we opening uh, with the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody? Because we are going to sit down with photographer extraordinaire Neil Preston, Uh, And he has a big, new, beautiful coffee table book on Queen. Uh, He was a very close confidant of the band from the fall of 77, uh, that tour, until their last tour with Freddie in 1986. The book is filled with photos from these tours. Uh, Hold tight, and we'll get to Neil very shortly. Okay, uh, quick news, quick news, quick news. I I will be short and sweet. I'm trying to do this. And as I've told you, I'm trying to do this extemporaneously without script, uh, just a few notes. So uh, first up, how are you doing? How is everybody in uh, this pandemic that, you know, goes on and on? I, I'm sure you're feeling pandemic fatigue. We're all feeling pandemic fatigue. But you know, please keep yourself safe, you know, do the right thing, not just for yourself, uh, but for everybody else around you, you know, a little social distancing and a little mask wearing, it really doesn't hurt anybody. It's not oppression. It's just a temporary thing until we get a handle on this pandemic. And, you know, let's face it, we here in the good old USA are flailing at that, but uh, hopefully we'll get our shit together here pretty quickly. All right. uh, Voting, vote, vote, vote. Uh, I don't care who you vote for. Well, okay, I care a little bit about who you vote for, but I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. You do what you got to do. You do you. I'll do me. Everybody else will do everybody else. Wow, that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Uh, I didn't intend for that, but, uh, you know, hey, look, let's all go out and do our civic duty with clothing uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the proper uh, accoutrements. Uh, but please, uh, you know, spend some time. Do, you know, think about the issues. Uh, do do what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, we've been running some uh, nonprofit organization uh, ads uh, here, uh, one of which is for voting, and I hope you guys are paying attention. 
All right. Uh, uh, just a reminder that uh, I will be on a panel on music licensing in podcasting on uh, October 29th at Podcast Movement Virtual, PM20 Virtual. Uh, if you are attending uh, Podcast Movement virtually, please stop in and listen to what we have to say. Uh, there is some very exciting news. I can't really say a lot right now, but it'll all come out on uh, the 29th. So pay attention to that. Uh, and uh, finally... I want to call out a couple of Patreon new members. Uh, we, we sincerely are grateful to all of our Patreon members. You guys, you have no idea how much that little amount of money just helps every month to cover our costs as we're, we're building this uh, this juggernaut, of which is very quickly becoming a juggernaut. And uh, I'll tell you more about that as uh, time goes on. We've got uh, some very close relationships that I'll be letting you in on uh, here very, very shortly. But let's get to the Patreon members. I want a big shout out to uh, Mitch Schwartz, uh, Anne Vandy Heatcamp, and Art Brochette. Uh, you guys are official diggers. Uh, thank you very much for uh, your patronage, uh, your monthly dedication to all that we are doing here um, at Pantheon. All right, like I said, short and sweet. Let's get to it. Let's get to our guest today. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. Neil Preston will be one of the first to tell you that he has lived a charmed and lucky life. Now, born in New York City, uh, he attended Forest Hills High School, where uh, uh, some other greats come from, Simon Garfunkel. And in fact, I think some of the Ramones uh, actually went there as well, uh, there in Queens. Um, you know, was given a, a camera at a young age and just very quickly realized this this was his calling. And uh, thank God he did, because this man has taken so many photographs that are iconic and it, we'll talk about it in uh uh in our, our discussion but uh you know the the three the big three uh, as, as he adds there is four uh you know definitely robert plant with the dove landing on his hand uh, that's you know literal magic um jimmy uh, page uh, drinking uh, the jack daniels uh, upside down uh, comes to mind uh, my favorite of his is and and i tell him every time i see him it's uh, uh stevie nicks um outside uh, in the wind uh raising her arms uh, like wings um uh that's uh, pretty incredible uh, and, uh, uh, of course, uh, Freddie Mercury himself, uh, doing the back bend at Wembley stadium 
1986, that last Queen tour with, with Freddie. But that's just the smattering. Uh, uh, you know, Neil uh, came out with a great book a couple of years ago called Exhilarated and Exhausted, which has uh, photos from, you know, bands up and down the spectrum, you know, certainly in the 70s uh, and 80s. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, you, you wonder, how did you get that shot? You know, ob- you know, obviously the dove shot is, come on. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he blends into the background. That is his thing. And, and you know, he, he's very open about how he did his job. Very serious. But the point was, in an old school way, to, to just be there, but be a fly on the wall and get the shot something that you just don't see anymore and and i i think that is a huge shame and i think that is a big miss by rock bands today you know they call they they they, they make a photo call where uh, you know they truck everybody in for about uh, two songs uh let them shoot all together right in the front uh and then usher them out and uh that's it and and that's just that's that's not what we want to see of our heroes and and to be honest with you it doesn't give us the the authentic background that we're looking for and you know that's that's a sad sad state of 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 things uh, out there neil was famously on stage during queen's uh live aid performance the only photographer to be on stage to shoot pictures during that incredible uh, you know once-in-a-lifetime performance. Uh, he's worked with uh, Bruce Springsteen, Sting, Peter Gabriel. Of course, he did Conspiracy Hope Theory uh, tour with uh, Amnesty International. Um, you know, uh, cut his teeth with Led Zeppelin. I mean, once once you've been on tour with Zeppelin, as he had done uh, in the early 70s, you know, the, the guy is immediately a legend. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, he came up uh, with uh, his best friend to this day, Cameron Crowe. In fact, we have a good time talking about those tapes and uh, and Almost Famous and, and how that plays with the Allman Brother uh, story of Greg uh, finally uh, giving the interview and then taking the tapes. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a version of that in, in Almost Famous. Uh, and and uh, let me tell you, just a great guy. You know, I've gotten to know Neil over the last couple of years, and uh, he's just, you know— one in a million, uh, uh, nice, funny, extremely smart. Uh, and he knows when to keep his mouth shut. And he knows what I mean uh, by that. Uh, he, he, he has, he knows where all the bodies are buried and he ain't telling nobody. Um, but you know, he, he, he's good for, uh, for numerous stories. Uh, and, um, I think you guys are going to enjoy this a lot. Uh, I certainly did. I'm glad I was finally able to to get him on the show. We've been talking about it for 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 a bit, and let me tell you, this new book, um, you know, it's big, bad, and beautiful. Um, uh, you know, if you are a Queen fan, this has to be in your library. So let's get to it, ladies and gentlemen. I give you the one and only Neil Preston. Just think I'll just run through my grave. 
Welcome to Deeper Digs, Neil Preston, uh, or or should I say Linda Lenz? Oh, Jesus. Here we go, right off the bat. <laughs> no, you could say Neil Preston. That, that's that's fine for right now. We'll, ex- we'll I guess there's really only thing. one person who was allowed to call you Linda Lenz. Yes, right? that is, and that would be Mr. Freddie Mercury. Right, yeah. right, right. And, right. Uh, you know, they, he and his friends would, would tend to... Um, it was just in, in in good good clean fun, but they they give oh, girl, an endearing they, uh, they no, moniker. I'm sure to, to, they give girl names to some of the you know people around them, and somehow I got dubbed that. Uh, and uh, you know, and I wrote about it in the book, so I'm never going to live it down now. I mean, it's so, yeah, it's amazing it's, how it's many out. people. It's out now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how many people have picked up on that. I just thought I'd I'd bury it like a little knuckleball, you know, uh, in the middle of accounts, but. So oh no no that that was a little gem to to find. That was uh, a hanging curveball right over the place. Keep <laughs> the baseball analogies running. <laughs> oh, so you know I have to ask because I've asked this pretty much uh, everyone um, uh, in the industry mm. that I've spoken to, and that's you know how's the age of COVID been treating you? Well, b- being single. A mask really cramps my style. That's number one. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's like everyone else. It's 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 been a uh, a roller coaster ride. Uh, I mean, when when this first came down the pike, and as you know, it came down the pike like all in one weekend, or it yeah, felt like yeah. all in one weekend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at first, I was shocked, and then I was then I kind of settled in for a couple three weeks. And and I and I think a lot of us are in the same boat. You start calling people you haven't spoken to in a long time, uh, and you know, and that was a phase. And then there, then there was a week I got bored. Then were a couple of weeks I got very very super productive, and it's it's just been this roller coaster. Uh, and I remember thinking in in March that this was going to go on way past the end of the year, and unfortunately, it looks like I, I was right. Um, so it's, you know, when you're running a business and I'm running a, a photography business, it, it's challenging to say the least. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I turned down a couple of, sh- you know, nobody, nobody wants to really spend any money. Everyone's got to watch their nickels. And uh, as do I, uh, as, as a business owner. And um, it's, you know, you really have to take it one day at a time. I think that's the only way to get through this because uh, it ain't going away. And um, it's been very, very tough, as you know, on the touring industry, people show business in general, touring industry in particular, uh, broad, look at Broadway shut down at least till next June. Um, A band like, like Queen, you know, even if, even if all of this kind of dissipated in Europe, uh, or nor well anywhere in the world, North America, Europe, uh, you know, a band like Queen can't can't do a thousand seater. It costs them more money yeah. to put the stage up. The, the, you know, <laughs> right. The, right. And uh, so, or uh, or I, a third capacity arena well, or whatever. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's just if if you're even going to be allowed to do that. So, uh, as far as the touring industry is concerned, you know, I'm thinking that you may. You may not see Queen again. You may not see Fleetwood Mac again. You may not see the Rolling Stones again. You know, mm-hmm. we're all getting older as this as this uh, moves forward. So, 
you know, the it's funny, the last show I saw was right before the the shelter in place uh edicts came down and Cameron and I went to see Burton Cummings solo live in really? Pepper, in yes, Pepperdine at, in, in oh. Pepperdine. There's this little theater at Pepperdine University and uh, it was just Burton who we're crazy about, right? With yeah. a, oh, with a one of the great piano. the greatest rock and roll voices yeah. in history, yeah. Used to be. <laughs> it, yeah, okay. It was I really, agree. It was really Oh, I hate to say it was very not very the best way to end no, your no, concert no. career no, if this no. is it. I mean, no, no, it, exactly. And that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like, please, someone play somewhere <laughs> because I can't I, I can't go to my grave with with Burton solo ringing in my brain, you know, ringing in my ears. <laughs> well, well, I, I have just recently sucked it up and bought a drive in concert ticket. And we're gonna go try that out and and see if uh, that who? in Garth? any way should work. Your Chesney or who? No, actually, it's this guy named R Mark Ribier who has kind of gotten uh, a big on online. Uh, right. He's kind of a a, a DJ, uh, and uh, he just literally uh, improvises mm -hmm. uh, these dance songs i've never seen anybody you know I, the allman brothers okay great improvising band really? right you know that yeah. oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> yeah and 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 so imagine a dj being an improviser you know <laughs> it's really really unique and and he, the guy's funny it's 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 it it, it it seems entertaining and uh, uh i became a fan mm -hmm. and so when they announced uh that they would have a show here near me uh i said oh let's go let's go try the drive-in thing out and see what that's like so we'll see you gotta we'll do see. what you gotta do i, I know but uh, i mean i'm craving i want a big packed forum or madison square garden you know i just oh, yeah I, I crave that and who knows oh, yeah. who knows what will happen yeah. you know yeah i i mean you know i think it's fair to say that you know that that took up a lot of our lives yours mm -hmm. may m way more than mine yep. um but uh you know there's nothing you know like a, a concert experience and um you know, uh, Queen was my first concert experience. Is that right? 1978. Yeah, the fabulous forum at the forum. I was at that show. Yeah. you know. I'm sure you were at that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, and, I think, your many second others. tour with them. Uh, yeah, I yeah, did. I, I, I started working with them in '77, but I'd shot them mm -hmm. in '76. I think they played Santa Monica Civic. Um, yeah, and and then in '77, I was asked by uh, my friend at Electra Records to to go on the road with them and it was just a really good match of photographer and subject mm. and uh you know i did 77 part of 78 part of 1980 then the south american tour in 81 then us a uh, 82 yeah and then of course live aid 85 and uh and the, the, and the, the last one the UK, magic the uk day magic, the magic 86 86 yeah and then, mm -hmm. of course, the kind of doesn't count, but it does. But the Freddie tribute show at Wembley. You did do the tribute show. Yeah I, yeah. yeah. I don't think there were any pictures from the tribute no, show no. in the book. Okay. No, because okay. Uh, we, the book is about the core band. The band. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Adam's not in it, which is not to, yeah. to dismiss him, but it's the core band. Right. 
Right, right. So I think my first question is to be, but we'll, we'll get to the Queen book, but I want to talk a little mm -hmm. bit about your previous uh, work mm -hmm. and, you know, you as a photographer and, and all of that. But, I, you know, I guess this maybe possibly happened. Mm -hmm. So one day, 1977, two phone calls uh, come back to back uh, to you and you need to decide on the spot. Go on tour with Queen, which will take up most of our discussion today, mm -hmm. or Zeppelin. Well, luckily, those calls did not coincide. Um, <laughs> You're not going to answer. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, I would tell you if they did, but but uh, uh, Zeppelin uh, started. Let me let me see if I can remember this properly. They started that leg of the '77 tour in April, and I believe it was supposed to start a little earlier, and it got postponed for some reason. But, uh maybe because of the the um uh, robert's son uh, no well issue. that was that was or in the that leg was, oh that was 75 there no right. no robert's son was when it ended uh, i think in 77 but uh i i know that we were out in what it was like april 1st i think was our first date and queen uh came around the corner to me uh in the fall because i distinctly remember being in new haven You're connecticut right in new haven connecticut and it was november and we had a gig there and i remember i can remember like it was yesterday seeing all the leaves turning you know the most beautiful colors i mean the east coast in the fall is, is unbeatable yeah. uh so but there was a completely different time of year and look in 77 i well i used to have this um halliburton briefcase you know those metal briefcases right and i used to clip all my laminated passes on the inside because i would never know what tour i was going to have to be on so i would just grab all my passes and take them on the road with me and i remember at one time i had i had my zeppelin laminate my emerson lake and palmer laminate my kiss laminate my peter frampton and there was one more in 77, I can't remember even before Queen, but you know, this is, I mean, I literally, I was like a, the flight attendant that never really unpacks, <laughs> you know, you, your suitcase is oh, always yeah. by the door. And it's an extraordinary amount of traveling and, and work, just even getting, getting to the work site, so to speak. Um, but I, you know, I, I remember having all those laminates clipped in my uh, briefcase and and I had a thing with a guy who was sitting next to me on a plane who saw my kiss laminate and did not, you know, which I think I had dropped or something. The guy picked it up and didn't want to give it back to me. <laughs> of course not. Well, yeah, those things were uh, uh, better than gold, especially back in those days. Well, you know, and, and you, you, it's funny because I used to, when I'd be finished with the tour, I'd, I'd clip, uh, I had this standing metal lamp in my office and I'd clip the passes on onto the shade and they'd come down and the more would branch out like this. I must've had 50 of them. And, uh, I gave them all away to, uh, someone who stayed over one night. Um, sounds you know, like a mistake. Uh, well, you know what, <laughs> but I'm, I've never been a big memorabilia guy. I mean, I've got the ultimate memorabilia, which are the photos. It that is true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're actually taking the memorabilia when you get right down to yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got one of the Led Zeppelin objects in the, in the back. Uh, oh, oh, from, uh, from yeah. Presence. Yeah, yeah. Here, I'll even show it to you. Um, I think it is right here somewhere. Where is it? 
well, maybe I lied. Maybe it's not here. It's somewhere else in the in the house. But um, yeah. Well, the fact that you a, having one is pretty special. I swear to God, I have one. I'm just not sure where it is. Here. Um, but you know, I mean, I've never been a big memorabilia. You know, all all my original T-shirts. You know, all the swag you used to get from all the bands. I, I remember when we were on the Amnesty tour, going around the world in '88. Um, uh, we we had duffel bags that were given to us by, by Amnesty. You know, Reebok sponsored that that entire tour, and yeah. and you know, people would get the 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 duffel bags stolen at airports because it would say Bruce Springsteen and Sting and Peter Gabriel on the sides. You know, yeah, you used to have to be very careful with stuff like that. Um, I don't have any of my original Led Zeppelin tour shirts or anything like that. And, you know, there's a very popular T-shirt that you see all the time now. And it's it says Led Zeppelin 1977 tour. And you see the Swan Song logo yeah. on the front. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw someone walking down the street in one of those, you know, 20 years ago or something, I thought, God, your dad must have worked for Led Zeppelin. You know, I like went up to this kid <laughs> and he said, I, dude, I just, I just bought, bought it, it over at, at the Gap. Target, at Target. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, that really happened. So. Uh, yeah, you never know. No, you ne you never know. You never know. So, uh, all right, let's get the Neil Preston superhero story. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about growing up and, and about finding uh, photography as a vocation. Well, uh, you know, let's go down that road. Okay. Uh, well, I was uh, I was growing up and uh, did grow up in Forest Hills, New York. Uh, my dad was a Broadway stage no, manager. Oh, like uh, Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, they went to they yeah. went to my high school, although they were oh. ten years ten years behind me. Your senior in front right. of me. Uh, yes. My sister actually went to graduate the same year that they did in 1960. I'm class of 1970, Forest High, the only class in the history of the high school to not have a senior prom, and we didn't have a senior prom because it was canceled due to complete student apathy. People were too high to buy prom tickets. <laughs> Swear to God. And they just canceled the prom, you know, nobody cared. But um, I got my first camera when I was about 13, 12 or 13. It was right around the time the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, which I like to call the- mm. uh, The aha moment for The you. nuclear bomb delivered directly yeah. into my cortex by John yes. Lennon. Yes. And uh, one, my first, my first of three brothers-in-law gave me my first camera. I took it everywhere I went. Uh, I would take it to, to you know, high school. I, I took it everywhere, uh, and I realized it was, it was a, I could use it to to meet girls, <laughs> but more importantly than that, it just spoke to me. You know, photography was it was in my DNA, and I didn't know that until I had my first camera. Um, what happened was uh, in the. So you're saying it, you took to it immediately. You, you immediately, you, this, yeah. This was a magic tool in your hand. Yes. And you knew it right away. And I and I'm self-taught. Um, yeah. I uh, there was a it was an Ansco Speedex 4.5, which is um, uh, a very old camera, obviously. But when you look at it, there's no lens. You have to push a button, and then this bellows comes out with the lens on the end of it and once yeah. i figured that out i kept trying to take a picture and nothing would happen then i figured out that there was a shutter cock a little lever you had to set and you cock the shutter take the picture cock the shutter take the picture and 
then I was off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what happened was uh, I, I, I used to go visit my dad at the theater, usually on Saturdays because he'd, he'd have some time uh, in between. The oh, mat- right. Your matinee. dad was a stage yeah, manager. He was a Broadway right? stage manager. Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he'd have time in between the matinee, Saturday matinee and the Saturday night performance. And he'd, he'd usually take me to dinner at Horn and Hard Arts Automat mm-hmm. in Times Square where you'd, you know, it sounds quaint now, but you'd, it was a really amazing. Then you'd, you'd put some change in and you'd, you'd turn a button and this window would open up and you'd pull a sandwich out. I mean, it sounds disgusting, but it was considered very, very advanced in those days. Um, and uh, I, I had my camera with, with me one night and the understudy, my dad was doing Fiddler on the Roof. And yeah. the, the understudy was uh, for the lead part was was on stage. And I knew the show backwards and forwards. And I knew there was, and my dad used to stand on stage right and call the lighting cues just off the wings. You know, if you peeked around the curtain, you could see the audience. Um, and I knew the show backwards and forwards, and I knew that the 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 actor was going to have a speech to do right near where my dad would call the lighting cues, you know, right at the end of stage right. And and I knew where all the laughs were, and I snuck a picture of him, luckily, you know, during a, during an audience laugh, so that no one could hear the shutter go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found out years later that my dad told me that. He he could have been hit as a, as a production stage manager. He could have been hit with like a ten thousand uh, dollar uh, photo call from, from the union. From the, oh the, shit! Yeah, yeah, the stagehands union. But uh, anyway, I took this picture and it came out really great. It's it's actually in my book. It's in it's in yeah. the, the the exhilarated and exhausted. Right, right. Yeah. and I yeah. and I, yeah. I I saw the picture and I made a couple of five by seven prints and and my dad gave one to the actor and. And he gave my dad to give to me a set of these big, four or five big photography books. Um, and I learned everything I knew about photography from those books. Those stuff that, that I hadn't already education. figured out on my own. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, that was the extent of my education. Um, I was going to go to college uh, for photography. And I woke up one day and decided I didn't want to go to college. I was already a working professional. I'd already been published. I wasn't making any money. But... I was already on the road to a career without knowing I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked into my mom and dad's bedroom one day and I said, uh, and I was already uh, accepted to all three colleges I had applied to. I was going to go to Philadelphia College of Art and they'd already put down a deposit on the tuition. And I walked in their their uh, bedroom one, one Sunday morning and I said, uh, all right, I'll go and get the Sunday Times. And I'll pick up the locks and bagels. I'm not going to go to college, and I'll get the dry cleaning. You know, tried to slip slide that ball. one in, huh? And mm. um, they were. You're not very good with the curveball. No, 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 no. Uh, you no. keep They're, hanging them. There. They always hang. They always hang right <laughs> over the place. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And now back to the program. Um, but uh, they they were relatively cool about it. I mean, to placate to placate my mom and dad, I I signed up for um, one semester of a, two night courses at uh, School of Visual Arts, and I think I went to two classes. And I said, "That's it," because I was overqualified, even at that point. Yeah, you knew right away. You were yeah, like, "Ah, yeah, the, yeah. I'm I mean, way beyond." I mean, they, they, I remember the the instructor, or professor, teacher, whatever the hell he was. I ended up going out and shooting some garbage cans on the street corner that were like thrown over. And, you know, it was, it was like street photography bullshit. Um, and I, I thought it was really like ground level learning, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had already been a few notches above that. So I didn't go to college. And then a year later on October 15th, 1971, I walked down the hallway, got into a cab, went to JFK, moved to California. Why did you do that? Well, LA was the epicenter of of the whole record business, uh, you know, the whole fantasy land of of the record yeah. business, and and uh, yeah. uh, it would it just I'd been to LA. Well, I'd been there once uh, with uh, my mom and dad when my dad was doing uh, national company, my fair lady, but then that the summer of 71, I was part of a press junket that uh, 25 journalists, photographers, journalists, whatever from New York and 25 from LA descended upon Dallas for a three dog night concert at the cotton bowl. And um, those were the days where you could switch around plane tickets and things like that. So um, instead of going from New York, Dallas to New York because I was invited to go shoot a three dog night. I went from New York to Dallas, then Dallas to LA. And because I had some friends in LA and I stayed there uh, for a month. And right before I came back to New York, I hooked up with this girl who was a publicist and, um, and decided to, I got back to New York and then decided I wanted to move back to LA. I wanted to move to LA, you know, permanently which I did and moved in with her was with her for a while. And I, you know, and I've been there ever since. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. but you know, LA, I, as I, I tell a story where, um, I, I, I looked at the cover of the, uh, flying burrito brothers. I think it's gilded palace of sin. And, yeah. the, and you see, you see Graham, Graham and Parsons, you see yeah. the guys and there's a couple of girls 
uh, on the cover. And I thought, wow, every girl in LA, I bet looks like that. And they did. <laughs> then, I, then I found out, then yeah. I found out much later that they were two hookers that Graham Parsons had hired for, for the album shoot. <laughs> but you know, who cares? <laughs> very, very good. Very good. So you were shooting before that and got invited to shoot three dog night. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the first band that you, you actually dug your teeth in? And, and the, said, the first you know, band, I, I want to make uh, this go. I think, I think this is the direction. Well, you know what? Uh, I was fortunate in that when I still was in New York and still was in high school, I was already shooting at the Fillmore East. Um, you know, all the venues are around New York, the, the Singer Bowl, uh, in Queens, which yeah. then became Louis Armstrong Tennis Stadium, and now I think it's called something else. Uh, there, there were shows held there. Uh, two friends of mine were the promoters, Gary Kerfurst and Shelley Finkel. Uh, did shows there, and at what was uh, the New York, what had been the New York State Pavilion at the World's Fair in 1964. Mm -hmm. um, so I was already getting getting my feet wet, you know, going to Gary and Shelley's shows and, and then the Fillmore and uh, I was meeting a lot of people that worked for different magazines, record companies and things like that. And, you know, I, I, I was at the Led Zeppelin press conference. I don't even remember how I ended up there, but Jimmy and Robert did a press conference in 1970 uh, because uh, they had, Led Zeppelin had won the Melody Makers Reader's Poll for the, to, as the biggest band in the world. The Beatles had won that every year since 64, I guess, 63 or 64. And Led Zeppelin was the first band to knock them off the top of the Melody Maker uh, list. So it was a big deal. And there is... Well, somebody, somebody had to in 1970, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I know. That's and, the end and, of the Beatles, so... Well, exactly, and and mind you, I love the Beatles, don't get me wrong. I mean, John mm -hmm. Lennon is probably one of the most important figures in my life, but uh, I there is footage from this press conference. You can find it on YouTube at the very, very, very beginning of this footage. It's a wide shot, and you see someone right in front, turn around, look at the camera, and, I, and it's me, and my hair is out the there. The big shock of hair, right. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, so I was at that press conference, 1970, and then they played the garden that night, and I shot that. This is way before I worked for Led Zeppelin. Um, but by the time I moved to LA in 71, you know, I had shot a fair amount of stuff, and um, and and knew knew a fair amount of people in the record business. And look, there was no such thing as music photography, or to use an expression I abhor, rock photography. It was just photography. You know, yeah. happen to kind of specialize in musicians. And um, uh, so I moved to LA, and the, the first band that that I toured with uh, was the Allman Brothers. And that's when Cameron and I were were on the road with them for Rolling Stone, as depicted in Almost Famous. Right. So, so is it, so that's the tour where, mm -hmm. where, where Cameron is, is he really like 15 or 16 oh, yeah. years old? Oh yeah. 15. Yeah. 15. Yeah. 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, he finally gets the, uh, the Greg to sit down and that's the tape stealing. Yeah. Story, that's the tape. Right? Yeah, and that is. Yeah. <laughs> he finally, you know, we did the one, I, I think oh, he, he, Cameron must've been 15 and a half or something like that. Uh, but we, he finally, got Greg to sit down for a short interview uh, in Phoenix 
but it wasn't, you know, it was just kind of a get your feet wet interview. He still needed the key interview with Greg and, and, uh, you know, Greg, who was a God to us, he had a couple of vials, you know, on, on the end table and, and he'd hit one and then he'd pass it to the writer, Cameron, you know, who would always decline and the photographer would always accept. So, oh yeah. You were the, so, you were the uh, taster. Huh? Yeah. You know, so, um, well, I'm not proud, but, uh, but, uh, and that's why that was the, I, that was the first time that Greg had an inkling that maybe this writer is a cop. You know, he won't get high with us, so maybe he's a cop. Uh, and that's where the line, how do I know you're not a cop, with the Billy Crudo says in, in the movie. In, in, in the movie. That right, was, right, that right, was Greg, right. Greg Allman actually said that to Cameron the night of the, the big yeah. tape fiasco. Um, yeah. So that was, and, you know, we, we laugh about it now, but at the time. Oh, when no, Greg, it's when Greg got to be scary. The, no, it, oh, it was, it was, we were scared to death, and Cameron uh, he had to go back to San Diego. I mean, we'd been out on the road a week or so, and he finally gets the key interview. And then we get a phone call. Uh, the phone rang in the, in the room. Uh, you know, we, we would share a room because Rolling Stone wasn't going to pay for two rooms. And uh, I remember picking up the phone going, hello. A voice on the other end goes, hey, man, it's Red Dog. You know, one of the Almonds roadies. Yeah. Is, your, is your little buddy there? I hand the camera the phone. I say, it's for you. And I, and he's talking and I see the blood kind of drain out of his head. And, and uh, he hangs up and he says, they want me to go back upstairs with all the tapes. Cause he had, he'd just come down like 45 minutes before. I mean, I, I'd gone up with him uh, to Greg Sweet at the Miyako. I shot some quick pictures and then I left the two of them together. And he came down and he said, wow, what an incredible interview. And Greg was talking about stuff I never thought he'd talk about, you know. And then we get the phone call that Greg's not happy and could, you better bring those tapes back up. And he left them there. So the next day, he, Cameron had to go to, back to home to San Diego. And many phone calls ensued between Cameron and and. Ben Pontorius is his editor at Rolling Stone and Mike Hyland, who was the Almonds PR guy, who was a friend of mine from New York, actually. And Jan got into it and Phil Walden got into it, who was the, the Almonds manager. And, yeah, man. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and Cameron called me and said, he said, I got a call from Phil Walden who said, hey, man, you know, Greg, he, he's got this bag of tapes. He doesn't know how he got them, man. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, buddy, but, you know, get him back to you. He just needed him back when he yeah, was really, exactly, really high. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, but, but the, the, so it was decided and agreed that he would give the tapes back. The only problem was the, the brothers were on their way to Hawaii. They had the last gig of, of, of that tour, that leg of the tour anyway, in Honolulu. So someone had to be assigned the task of flying to Honolulu to retrieve the tapes. Uh, who was that? Oh, that now? would that would have been me, and and <laughs> I got the tapes back, and I saw the just it was a deadly show. It was outdoors. Oh, yeah. It was oh, a those blaze, guys. It was a blaze doll, and and it was outdoors. And I've I, never seen a bad show with the Almond Brothers yeah, ever. And, and yeah. I got the tapes back, and they were in the same brown paper bag that Cameron left them there. I mean, obviously it hadn't hadn't even been opened up, much less listened to. 
Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and we realized that, boy, if I didn't get those tapes back, his career could have turned there out. There would be no Cameron Crowe career. There right, would be right. no Rolling Stone, you know, and yeah. it wouldn't have been that good for me either. But, you know, but his, his head was on the chopping block there. And, and it's funny. At 15 and a half. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, every, in, when, you, when you look upon those days, you look at anything that happened in the past in retrospect, where there, there was that fork in the road. And you go this direction, your life could turn out one way, and you go that direction, it could turn out another way. And, you know, knock wood, wherever, you know, I've been very fortunate that, that, that things have kind of turned out well, because I never planned any of this. Um, but, you know, th things could have worked out very differently. But we oh, got the tapes back, and then the, and the, and the, cover, the cover happened, and uh, they ended up using an illustration on the cover, and I'm still pissed off about that, but... Um, but you know, we got all the pictures inside and, um, things worked out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, 1970, 30 years later, uh, since you opened it, I, I, I was going to save this for my last question, but, mm -hmm. but we'll, we'll talk about it because it's the 20th anniversary of Almost Famous this year. Yes, so it is. So 30 yeah. years later, you know, uh, you know, Cameron writes and directs what may be the classic rock and roll picture of all time it, it really i tell you what it's the most real believe it or not even though you know some would say there are parts that are sugar-coated but it's about the tiny the tiny it, dancer scene uh being probably the but most you know obvious. what <laughs> well, well no i think the most obvious well yes and no but uh yeah, a lot of the, the criticism at least when the movie came out was that you know, the, those, those girls were never that sweet and kind, uh, oh, which no, is, which is yeah, kind of, well, there wasn't the G, only GTOs, you know, groupies yeah. in general. And I believe me, I've known my share of them and then some, <laughs> and, uh, a lot of them, well, most of them were very competitive, arrogant, loud, uh, snotty. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of them just weren't the nicest of people. You know, I mean, you didn't have to be a groupie to be a snot, a snot rag, yeah. you know. But yeah. um, they, they were, you know, but the movie's about what it means to really love music and be a fan and how that affects family. And uh, look, I, I know the real girl who was traded for the case of beer, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say her name, but. Uh, right. I know her. She knows I know her, and et cetera, et cetera. Was it and, humble but, pie that she was actually traded to? Uh, it was no. She was traded to the almonds from humble. Uh, from it wasn't from humble pie, uh, but it was to the almonds. You know, or, I didn't know until I watched a, the yeah, film. To the almonds, or, or or Marshall Tucker, one of the Capricorn bands. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I didn't know until the recently I showed it to, to my 19 year old and who, who loved it. And he's not really a big rock and roll guy. He's more of a hip hop guy, mm -hmm. but he, he really, really loved it. And yeah, you know, cause it's a coming of age story uh, more so than anything else. Can see that a lot of people compare it to Pam's uh, book and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Nothing, it's nothing like Pamela's book. I mean, Pam with all due respect was, was it just a flat out groupie and she's a good writer and she's got some stories, but she was not a journalist. She certainly was, uh, she may have 
been a writer back then. I don't know, but I mean, I only met her briefly a couple times back then. But you know, there it, it's her story and Cameron's story are, are not at all similar. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, the thing was, I I didn't know, I, I didn't put it together that while they're doing this trade to humble pie, it's at least in the movie, mm-hmm. it's it, it's Peter Frampton under a bunch of makeup yeah, who's yeah. doing the trade. Well, that's which, a little inside joke. <laughs> yeah, it was a great that's inside a joke. Inter- but it took me twenty years to figure that out. Yeah, well, it did take you twenty years to hear. Uh, Jimmy Fallon say the line, uh, you're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, Andy Leibovitz or Neil Preston is going to, we're going to shoot the cover. <laughs> you know, that's kind of buried in, in the audio track there, but it's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and again, you know, the film was literally a financial flop uh, when it came out in uh, yeah. 2001 uh, or 2000. 2000 so, it came out. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, but, but, you know, like, like a, lot of really good work if you do good work it'll find its audience it'll find its audience yeah and it it has and it has and then some i mean now everyone wants to show it to their kids and kid you know i've had so many kids say to me oh my god i was born in the wrong era i should have been born when you were born you know great then you'd be in your fucking mid-60s but um (laughs) yeah um it it really has become more popular than ever recently. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we had plans. We're going to throw a couple of parties with some photo exhibitions, invite the original cast this year, and all that stuff got coveted. Yeah. What we, yeah. Had, what we had coveted got coveted. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind me. Yeah, well, there's always the 25th anniversary, not too far exactly. away. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, uh, and I, I do know uh, that the cast uh, uh, was reassembled. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the cast was reassembled recently. For yeah. A, for, for Zoom, the, uh, oh, did you hear the, 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 there was a five episode podcast uh, that uh, a guy named uh, uh, Jim, is it Jim Miller? I can't remember his name. Uh, but he, it's an oral history of the movie and mm-hmm. uh, it's in five episodes. So it's as much almost famous as anyone can stand at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's really interesting in the way it was put together. And he talked to pretty much all the cast members and, and everyone's still alive except for Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you get a lot of Kate, a lot of Billy, you know, and it's, it was fantastic to hear them all talk about yeah. how important the movie was to them way back then. But you're right. It was not a big success when it opened. No, uh, I, I saw it when it opened and of course loved it to death. I mean, it was, you know, I could relate, but mm-hmm. I'm a rock and roller and a musician right. and all the other things. I mean, this, this was my fantasy come true uh, right there. Uh, and, you know, but um, timing's everything. Uh, yeah. You, know, you, you never know. I say that all the uh, time. You meet a girl yeah. on Monday, she hates your guts. You meet the same girl on Thursday, it's like wedding bells. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's timing is, is crucial. And I, I feel bad for Cameron because, you know, he did it again with what I thought was a really good show on Showtime, Roadies, uh, which kind of, you know, expanded the, the universe and, and, and gave a, a different look. But, but still, you know, hearkening back to that time. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those shows, uh, and, and we have a mutual friend that uh, was involved uh, in it. Uh, and... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, what I said to her was that, you know, it kind of, it starts off a little rough, but as that show goes, 
it gets better and better. Yeah. And by the time you get to the end, of, you're like going, this is really, really good. It just really blows that uh, yeah. well, you, you guys them, didn't get a second season with that. You get invested in the characters and, and their lives. And you're right. We were just finding our way for a while. Um, and it, it was just a killer to be canceled. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a weird time. I mean, there was HBO had, had some rock and roll series. I Vinyl. Yeah, yeah and, and that didn't and, do well. And no, and, I and of had, course I, they'd spent a hundred million dollars yes, on that yes, one. So. And and everyone at Showtime and everywhere else was very aware of that that figure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember a couple of people calling me up saying, "Have you seen that? Have you seen Vinyl? Have you seen Vinyl?" And I, as a rule, I won't watch these shows anyway. So, but a couple of people said, "Well, yeah, they hired some guy to play Robert Plant and some guy to pay, play Peter Grant and." They were awful, and it just sounded terrible. You know, it just sounded awful because you know there's always going to be the coked out promo guy, and there's always going to be the, the floozies, and there's always you know the obvious characterizations and stereotypes. And and supposedly that's what vinyl was. I, I still have never seen one episode of it. It had its moments. Uh, not to dive too deep into this, but um, uh, you know, it was a uh, packed with information and like songs and little uh, Easter eggs and what mm -hmm. have you, which was kind of cool. But to your point, I, it, it, just my criticism was that they focused on the wrong characters. They focused on, you know, this aging record exec, even though the B story yeah, yeah. was the, really the selling point was this girl who was chasing punk, you know, this, this young uh, A&R girl was chasing mm -hmm. punk and the mailroom guy was chasing disco, which were both the things that were coming, you yeah, know, and hip hop yeah. and things like that. And they, they, they didn't focus on that, but you know, we, we, we can decide that. Whereas, you know, Showtime stayed uh, or Rhodey stayed in its over it, uh, you know, it, it was mm -hmm. in its moment and it, and it knew it. Uh, and like I said, as the show goes on, and those characters become uh, known, you, you do, you fall in love with them. And, and yeah. you know, to, to end with, you know, Phil getting stuffed and all of that, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, fantastic, fun, yeah. awesome, uh, you know, which, which I know was a total Graham Parsons play, uh, you know, uh, stealing the, the body. And, yeah, yeah. And well, there's a, if you really, really watch every scene of every episode, I mean, Cameron directed, I think, half of them. And then they brought in yeah. different people who direct different episodes. And, you know, some were better than others. But the, the Skinner episode is really fantastic. Oh, that's the best Now, one. Yeah. I don't recall if this scene ended up on the cutting room floor or not. You might remember. But uh, there was something that happened with me and Cameron in New York in 74 where we were, we were working on something with Todd Rundgren. And Cameron had just gotten his his Sony boom, his new Sony boombox, which had a really good microphone on it, and he carried it around with us. And, and we were we were in Greenwich Village one night, and there was kind of this Tourette syndrome kind of homeless guy, you know, kind of pontificating loudly on the corner of Sixth Avenue and Eighth Street, and and he, he and this guy was talking about the uh, the oil crisis. And Cameron's like taping him, and the guy says, The Arabs got the oil, right? The Arabs got the oil, right? And then Cameron says something to him, and he still has the tape, mind you, of this conversation. He says, And the guy says, 
Now Kissinger, 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 he go over there and he rap and he hooked that whole thing up. It was like this guy was Nostradamus telling the future, okay? What was going to happen, yeah. right? And I, the, I mean, the guy was right on the money. And that became a scene in the Skinner episode of Roadies. Um, I wasn't working that night, but I went down to the taping anyway. Because uh, Showtime, we only shot, they only wanted a still photographer on half the, the shoot days. And... Uh, and I decided, I decided, you know what? I was working on a lot of other stuff. So I had someone else cover me for half of my shoot days. So I, you know, so I was there for 25% of the shoot days. And then a couple of days when I just show up just because, you know, home sweet home. Um, yeah. And, but we, the, the, he shot that scene recreating the guy on the corner of 8th Street and 6th Avenue. Uh, with the guy, he recreated it as if Ronnie Van Zant was walking down the street here in the sky. And uh, anyway, there's, there's, the point is, there's still a lot of us, a lot of us in roadies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the books uh, right. here. So, so this, I, I believe this is your fourth book uh, to be released. The first being uh, Led Zeppelin Portraits in 1986. Led Zeppelin Portraits was, I self published the first edition and then we sold uh then harper and row bought the rights to it and reprinted it and then uh a british company bought the rights to it we reprinted it then uh so that's you know one title then there was the the there's the, a digital, the there's the digital yeah. led zeppelin book on uh -huh. on that you can only get on itunes that's a, that's way ahead of its time that's got a lot of photos that no one's ever seen and it's ten dollars you know uh, Rhino yeah. published that, and then then we did uh, the updated Led Zeppelin book years ago. And I also uh, there's a Bon Jovi book that was done in Japan uh, oh, years and years and years. Of, well, you okay. probably know who will. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, there was a book from the Amnesty tour that's basically my photos and Ken's Ken Regan's photos. Um, and uh, Let's see. Then there would be Exhilarated and Exhausted. Exhilarated and Exhausted in 2017. Right. And then the Queen book, Queen and, and Neil Preston now. photographs. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, I've had a lot of book covers and, you know, catalysts, oh, yeah. you know, et yeah, cetera. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah uh, lots of exhibits yeah. and, uh, and all of that. Just, yeah. Because yeah. you never know. You take a picture in 1977, all of a sudden it's the guy's autobiography mm -hmm. cover, you know, in 2015. But this is your second real full class coffee, coffee table. table. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of those that if you are a rock and roll aficionado, you need in your library. Well, and it's, and it's the first time of both these books that I'd ever written anything for publication. And yeah. I've, I've always been a frustrated writer. And most of my close friends have always been writers. So I gravitate towards those people. And I guess I'm a wannabe. And I'm really, really proud of the writing in both of them, because that's yeah, you know yeah. it's one thing to look at the photographs and and uh, become immersed in the photographs, but I Some wanted to talk. Is yeah, nice. and I wanted yeah. to talk about the fact it's certainly an exhilarated, and exhausted that my job is not the glamour job of the 20th century. It's anything <laughs> but. 
<laughs> it's stressful and the deadlines and the traveling and the, you know, and, and that's before you even take a picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, but I wanted to write with my own kind of snarky sense of humor and, uh, and you, you achieve know, that, my, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wrote conversationally. What can I say? <laughs> so exhilarated, exhausted. It, it is. It's a great career retrospective. Thank you. Uh, and yes, that that alone could take up this entire episode. Uh, you know, y- you know, a lot of, the, of photographers, and you haven't had one yet. I see this in your future. You know, certainly the two-hour documentary on Neil Preston and his photographers that some of your 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 associates have, yeah. have had. Well, you um, know, we but were actually I, you. Were, it would be way more than two hours. I, I'm not sure we could do this. Well, in two hours. we had uh, we we had plans to have plans to turn that book into like a six episode TV series. However, this little I don't know if you heard, but there's a little bug going oh, around. COVID. You know. <laughs> And uh, it put a dent in our plans because, uh, you know, I wanted to shoot some footage of, you know, me and Brian and Roger maybe going over the layout for the Queen book, uh, you know, me and a few other people, but not to shoot interviews with them, but just to just some fly on the wall kind of footage that shows my relationship with different people I've worked with. And uh, Mm. can't really do that right now. So no, uh, no. we're we're on a, you know, we had just started working on the pilot too, but mm. we'll we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. Good, good to hear. Good to hear. Um, so, uh, you know, a, a couple, just a couple of stories from mm-hmm. that book before we dive into the Queen book here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we'll we'll leave Freddie and the boys out of the discussion for <laughs> now. Uh, so, to me, you know, one hundred years from now. Uh, mm-hmm. At least three Neil Preston picks will be hanging on museum walls when discussing rock and roll. Oh. Um, uh, that is the Freddie back, Freddie, uh, uh, Freddie uh, back band from right, 1986 right. in Wembley. Uh, Robert uh, holding his bird. The holding his bird. <laughs> his, his bird. Yeah. Uh, and and, um, and then I, I a, a certain guitar Steve. player swinging. Swinging as Jack Daniels or not? Oh, yes. There's the, the Jimmy Page. You're right. There's got to right, be more right. than three. I was thinking Stevie with the wings. Ah. And uh, given that um, uh, Stevie and uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac just happened to be in the zeitgeist, thanks yeah. to TikTok, um, you know, why don't you tell us how that picture got made? Well, that was, um, that picture was part of a, People magazine shoot that I did uh, on Stevie when she uh, just before she released Belladonna, her first solo. Oh yeah, her first solo. And uh, you know, I I'd been doing some concert stuff for the band, but I hadn't, you know, and I met them, but I hadn't really worked uh, closely off stage with any of them until that time. And you know, that was that was a magical shoot that day. Oh, it'd have to be to and, get and, that shot. Know, I, had, I had a People magazine contract for years, which was a guarantee for X amount of shoot days per year. If my guarantee was 20 shoot days a year and they only hired me 15, they would have contractually, they'd have to pay me for five extra days that I didn't shoot. And every year it became, tw- you know, more and more days. It went from 20 to 25 to 35 to 45. And I think the, I think the, the most I ever did in one year was, like 81 shoot days for the magazine. 
And Where's the time for touring at that point? Well, you know, and some of those are travel days, but you, you know, you're still yeah. away from what you're doing. Um, but this was uh, one of those shoots that just was magical. And, you know, the stars really aligned. Uh, we had done all the um, People Magazine. It's all that at-home stuff. I mean, they, they really or originated all that stuff. And yeah. so you always had to shoot the person at home if they had a spouse, if they had kids, you know, or behind was, the curtain. Yeah, right. exactly. As an editor used to tell me, the, the purpose of the, of the photos in this magazine is to surprise the viewer so that ideally you'd learn a little something about the subject that you didn't know before. That was that was the, the theory. Um, so uh, when I was, Stevie was living in a condo in Venice at the time on the top floor of, I think it was a six story building. And we shot some stuff of her around the condo and in her, you know, her beautiful makeup area and her, uh, not in her bathroom, but like her vanities and all her girly stuff, you know, crystal goblets and all cool stuff. And, uh, but we still didn't have that great opening shot, you know, the lead shot for the story. And we both kind of said at the same time, why don't we go shoot on the roof as the sun goes down? You know, magic hour shot, even though the yeah, magazine yeah. was in black and white at the time. So, um, it, you know, and I just realized I never shot any color up on that roof. I only shot black and white. But it was very windy that day. And she had put on that dress where the sleeves were long and it would catch the wind. And... Uh, I had to, it looked fantastic, but sure enough, the second she came up to the roof and I had already been up there with my assistant with a light, a one Norman head into a, an umbrella right near the camera. Uh, and sure enough, she gets up there and the wind starts to pick up, blowing harder and harder. And I had to have my assistant, the reason you don't see Stevie's feet is because I had an assistant <laughs> on his stomach holding her ankle. Because, so she doesn't fly off so, like Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. Or, or like Sally Fields. She does become the flying nun. <laughs> the because, flying nun. because as I like to say, it would have ruined the uh, Time Life Insurance Department's uh, day. <laughs> um, and, and, this was, and she was right on the edge of the roof. you know. So it could have happened. And I told Joel, I said, you hold her ankle face down. You don't look at me. You don't look at her. You just don't let that ankle go anywhere. So that's why you don't see down. Yeah, like thank thank God he didn't step up going, hey, boss, I got her shoes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, and that was the, the, the beginning of a really great friendship that, that uh, exists to this day. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I and can actually, imagine. everybody yeah. loves that woman. Cameron, so. Cameron and I just did a video for uh, Stevie called Show Them the Way. Cameron directed yeah, my that's co-produced right. it. And uh, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, a basically a get out and boat uh tool but um mm -hmm. people love it and a lot of historical pictures in it and and uh we're very proud of it and stevie's well, really proud of it too that's how you throw a hanging curveball neil just like that you know i set you up and yeah boom, thank, you. You go. thank you over the fence <laughs> so, baby <laughs> that one's over the fence right i i, I know you're a big who fan um uh -huh. So give me your favorite pick from uh, from Exhilarated and Exhausted of uh, Pete Ox, Roger, and the Loon. Oh, God. Um, I've got to remember what's in there. Um, <laughs> well, what, one of my favorite pictures, 
I'm not I'm not sure if it's in the book, but it, you know, I did the cover of the 30th uh, 30 Years Maximum R&B box set, where Pete's flying off the top of the the box. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. in the actual original frame, Pete's flying off the right hand side of the frame, and the art director moved him over to the center, so he's flying off the top of the box. And then we added a shot of uh, John Entwistle. Uh, another shot because he wasn't in the original shot. The original shot was just Pete and Raj and, uh, and Keith. Um, but you know, I'm a, I'm a who fanatic. Um, I, there's a picture on the back cover, right? Of, of, wait, wait, I can't remember what's on the cover of what anymore. Um, any shot of Pete, you know, Oh, that's Jimmy on the, on the back cover. Um, Oh, I did an alternate cover uh, comp that had a great shot of Pete on it, but we didn't want it to look the like la a, the a, last a, shot in the right, book right, is, right, right. Is a Pete. and I love that. I love that shot. Mm -hmm. That was good. that was my second choice for the cover, but we didn't want it to look like a Who book or a Zeppelin book or a Bruce Springsteen book or anything. Um, but I so I, you went with Roger's kit. Well, we went with Roger's drum kit. Yeah, that right, everyone right. thinks is Keith Moon's. But no, no, not with that lighting rig. Well, oh, not with the lighting no. rig. But the people's first uh, obvious knee-jerk reaction is, "Oh, Keith Moon must have destroyed his drums or something." But that was very rare for Roger Taylor. And I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't remember what prompted that drum kit to end up in the condition <laughs> it was. But something must must have happened. And and I will also add that. Every musician, I don't care what band they're in, you know, I'm talking world-class musicians. I don't care if it's guys in Led Zeppelin or Queen or Mick or Stevie, you know, anybody. If you ask any of them when they come off stage, hey, man, that was such a great show. Did you dig it? No one will ever say, yeah, that was a great show. They'll always say, nah, I didn't like the sound. I didn't like the this. I didn't like the that. And I don't know what it is with musicians. They just... They'll never. We're, we're never happy. We're never well, happy. You know, I, they'll never give I it know up. This. They'll never no. give it up. And there's always so, somewhere to improve. Yeah. There's uh, there's always some little thing that didn't quite go the way you yeah. hoped. But it that's would, the or... thing that they'll obsess on. Yeah. You know, forget well, that the crowd that's... went crazy or this that, yeah. and the other thing. No, I didn't like the solo I did. Mm. It wasn't as good as the solo I did last year. You know, blah 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 blah. Well, if you're always chasing perfection uh, and you don't achieve it, uh, you know, to you, you're get you are getting closer every day, and you're taking the audience along with you, and that's what's happening. Is, is by yeah. by saying that you're always trying to make it better, and uh, the audience appreciates right. that. Right, and I understand. And, that, that, and to be honest, that's what separates the you know the 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 big you know the long pants from the short pants. Exactly, and I I mean I learned that with Queen. I mean I was. I saw many sound checks that kind of evolved into band meetings and this was serious, serious stuff, you know? Yeah. You say that in the book that really this, these guys were the hardest working band in show business that you well, ever they, saw. They, they seem to really, well, they seem to really, um, well, let me back up. It's, it's four people with pretty strong egos not that anyone's trying to outdo anyone else, but you know, four people with definite opinions. Uh, and uh, they really cared about the lighting, the sound, 
the sight lines in the venue, the house PA, you know, every, every all the one details. of the, all the details that, you know, people think they, they just go to the forum or the, the Madison Square Garden or the O2 and the, the shows just show up out of the blue. You know, well, there's a lot of work that goes into setting up that those kind of shows. And um, as you know, uh, and, you know, they certainly Queen took every aspect of it very, very seriously. And I did learn from them that good is good and better is better and great is great. But there's always going to be a little wiggle room to do a little better. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I really I can remember thinking that back then. And I, it's it still sits with me today. Um, do your best and then give it another little turn you know yeah yeah, yeah. um and there's that's always the way, one that, more gear you can that's find. the way they were you know that's the way they were mm-hmm. uh, um, when, when i when you know we talk about live aid for for a second if, if you don't mind me jumping around but uh i didn't you know when you're shooting something when i'm shooting something like that it's essentially a tv show you know it's every band's doing 20 minutes and I, I hadn't thought of that before until oh, I read the book. Yeah. And, and that, but you're absolutely right. And, and I did. I saw the whole thing, top to bottom, on television. I was actually working in a TV uh, and stereo um, uh, shop, and I got my manager to allow me to put it on every fucking television. And I'll tell you, we sold more TVs and stereos that day than any other day. So you so, so you watched Philly, uh, sorry, London first. London, London, yeah, and then into Philly, and then Philly. And the, the whole thing, yeah, from yeah. from from you know in the morning to in the evening. Right. And uh, you're right, it it, it is, is produced as a television. It's a, show. T- it's a TV show, and mm-hmm. as a photographer, after you know, well, first of all, the bands don't really get rolling; they're just starting to get rolling when they're yeah, twenty off minutes. It's just like exactly twenty twenty-five exactly. minutes. And yeah. as a photographer, after the first fifteen minutes, you're just shooting at anything and everything. You know, I shot almost a hundred rolls of film that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was on stage with Queen, I, you know, I'm too busy working. I'm not thinking, wow, isn't this a great gig? because it's just another gig to me. It doesn't matter if there's 50 people in the audience or 50,000. I'm still doing what no, I'm there to your do. Your focus needs to be on that right, viewfinder. Right, right. No, no, pun, right. no pun intended. And, and it wasn't until, uh, well, I remember get, getting back to the States a couple of days afterwards, I started getting calls from Rolling Stone, a lot of other magazines, and everyone wanted the same pictures they wanted. Freddie Mercury with the crowds going like this for Radio Gaga. And that was the first clue I had that, wow, they really made an impression on people. And then I found out that it was generally considered the greatest single half hour of rock music ever. And I didn't watch it on uh, YouTube until sometime last year. No, we the last time we were together, we talked about that. No, 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 I I can't relive that uh, yeah, because you were there. Right. Well, yeah, and but but I I listened to it and I thought those guys are playing like I've never heard them play before or or since. You know, I mean, it came from somewhere else. And and so I and you I didn't that know that at the time. That it was. You, or did you know that at the time? No didn't know at the time it wasn't but, until you recently saw the video that you get oh i realized I've, how let's face good it, they you, were you maybe seen more shows than just about anybody who wasn't actually employed by the band uh, absolutely uh, 
And that, that one really was special. But, it, you know, and I, I told this to Brian. I spoke to Brian about a month ago, and I said, I've never heard you play like that, you know, or Roger Adiki. And, and, and he, Brian said, well, sometimes adrenaline just takes over. Well, <laughs> call it what you want, but it, I'm telling you, that came from somewhere else. Uh, and look, Freddie's always going to be Fred, incredible, yes. and he's going to be he's Freddie Mercury. Give me a break. Yeah. But and as I like to say, if you're a, if if you have my job, there are three people in the business, and if you can't get a good picture of one of the of any of these three guys, quit your job and go work at Seven Eleven. And those mm-hmm. three people, in no particular order, are Freddie Mercury, Pete Townsend, and Jimmy Page. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind yeah, of given to uh, you on a silver platter. You know? <laughs> uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, huh? Right. There. Uh, <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah. So you know, uh, it's funny. You know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, we say around here when we're we're digging into our rock and roll archaeology that uh, you know the 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 um, the opposite of the truth is not the lie; it's the myth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thought maybe I'd get a different spin on your take on, on seeing the, the YouTube video. But, but you know, the, that over time, the myth would have grown. Uh, I, I do remember the Queen being on, on, on that stage. And to me, the, 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 the two that still stuck out to me, you know, over, you know, before the movies and what have you was you two. Mm-hmm. I think they were the first to kind of like bust through the state tv screen of like oh okay these oh this is feeling more like a rock show Mm -hmm. and yeah definitely everything's shifted when queen came out and did their 20 minutes yeah and then then, now we were talking about a legendary concert you were you were like invested into what was going to happen next i I remember you two's i remember shooting you two set i remember you know i couldn't wait for the who to come on and but I knew that they weren't going to have the greatest night because they, uh, how can I put this? You want the who to be pissed off. You want them to be really, really <laughs> well, especially pissed Especially Pete. It's, yes. Right. It's, if it's, Pete's having a bad time, you're going to have direct, a great Right. Show. It's a direct correlation. <laughs> you know, inverse proportion. Uh, the last time I saw him was up in Tahoe. Uh, the weather changes that got colder. The guitars had never stayed in tune. Oh, he got pissed throughout the night. I was like going, yeah, it's this the best. Day. It was a it's great the job. best. <laughs> you know, and mind you, you, and take it from me, you do not go into the Who's dressing room after a show until you're invited. You are taking your life in your hand. <laughs> take it from me, and that is very true. But I, I remember the Who just started getting rolling, and then they were, it was the end of Won't Get Fooled Again, and it was kind of a letdown, and, and the Queen must have come on after the Who. No, uh, I, I don't. I don't, think I don't so. remember. Uh, I don't remember. I was U two because he had U two Bowie, and yeah. in no particular order. U two Bowie, Queen, Elton, McCartney. Yeah, in, Ruff, in, roughly in, yes, in that order. Roughly uh, in, in, that in, order. In, in London, right, 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 right. and then Zeppelin over right. on. The, and then I remember the, getting out of Bill. getting out of Wembley and going back to the Mayfair. Hotel where I'd been for three weeks. Let me tell you, they had a yeah, because you were there with because of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, they had to drag me kicking and screaming out of the Mayfair. I loved it. But uh, I remember getting to my room and turning on the TV to see the Philly show, and Zeppelin was just about to come on. And part of me wanted to be there, but I guess in retrospect, it didn't didn't hurt that I was there with Queen. 
No. <laughs> that was the better. <laughs> well, you know, it's like you're you're torn, you know. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I couldn't do a Phil Collins and get on a Learjet. But, <laughs> but um, it's, God, it's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it all is. And you know what? Here's so, a little known fact. I believe uh, Bob Geldof came up to, uh, it was Manchester or uh, Birmingham when Bruce played there, which was about three weeks before the Live Aid show. And Geldof came to talk to Bruce. And I, I, I'm sure that he was asking Bruce to, to if Bruce would play Keep Live Aid. Oh, and, play yeah, and, then, and then Bruce ended up giving uh, Live Aid his stage. Yeah. Little, little yeah. known fact. Um, yeah. So the stage that, that the Live Aid London show was held on was actually Bruce. Yeah, it was Princeton's. a Born in the USA yeah. uh, exactly. stage. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, of that tour. So you've seen the, the YouTube video. Have you seen the movie? Yes. Well. What else? <laughs> what else we got going on? <laughs> Next to? question, um, please. You know what? It's, it's, it's the music. That it's hard. It's it, hard for it's somebody. It's, again, it's, it's the, 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 music, the, the, it's the music. The, the, that the opposite the of the truth is not the lie. It's the myth. So, yeah. You know, Rami did a great job. I, you know, as a fan of the band, I had some problems with the chronology of it. Oh, but course. you know, one billion people can't be wrong. I mean, yeah, it was a huge success, and it cemented Freddie's place in history and the band's place in history. And you know, for that, I applaud them. It wasn't really for me, but I'm a little too close to the situation. To, I, to, I think that's the situation. Yeah, to to, to be yes. uh, to be objective and. Um, yeah. You know, but listen to the music. You know, we have a saying in the record business that the only thing that matters is what's between the grooves. You know, right, right, and right. They, yep. they, they they got that right. They certainly did, didn't they? They, yeah. they certainly did. Uh, whether it was uh, Rami singing or Freddie singing or a third party uh, singing, uh, they they made it all work musically. Yeah, uh, and, just if you have those set of songs, it's kind of hard to fuck it up. Well, yeah, and and you know what? I I heard I I wasn't involved in the making of the movie, but I heard that the for, for day one of their schedule, they went right into Live Aid stuff. That was the first stuff they shot. It was movie. that they shot. Yeah, yeah. Which In I fact, they had to switch directors ballsy. not long yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Since since that is the central uh, point of the entire movie is that yeah, twenty minutes yeah. where they they do almost the entire uh, set. Yeah, well, have you seen the you've seen the split screen the, the yeah. thing on on YouTube where it's yeah, the, the yeah. Rami and them the movie yeah. guys and then the real guys, and you know they do a really good job. There's, they did. There's they, a, they a there's a scene in the movie where the John Deacon guy is sitting down and and I notice it and he's wiggling his foot like this a little bit like nervous nervous wiggle and I remember Deacon used to do that all the time and and I I noticed that in the middle of the scene and like no one else around me would have known what was right. going on but I I just so then you're wondering how the actor find out yeah, I know I know yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I got to ask, since you've seen the movie, I mean, most importantly, please uh, critique the guy who plays you on stage during the live aid. There is no such guy. There is no such guy. Yes, there is. There is, there is a, a well, single I, photographer. Well, I think that that, and I don't know this for a fact, but that may have been the set photographer. I know that when I worked uh, two years ago on um, a star is born, I did eight days on a star is born. 
And I oh, is Brad? Yeah, with Cooper Bradley and, Cooper. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I basically shot the concert sequences, all the, uh, not the ones that they shot in the UK, but all the ones that we shot uh, in Palm Springs, or we shot that out of Coachella and Stagecoach, uh-huh. yeah. uh, and a couple other things. And um, oh, when he drags her up on right. stage, and I, uh, right? And I and I know Bradley because I did a, another movie with him, and I said, listen. Uh, you know, why don't you, if you want, I said, you could just throw a, a movie backstage pass on me. And I, that way I can shoot, I can shoot the movie stills, but still get the best positions. It doesn't matter if the cam- your camera sees me because I would have been the one that your character hired to shoot. So it's a bit of a surrealism. And you, you do see me in A Star is Born once or twice very quickly. Um, mm. But uh, not in... Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Not in Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody. So, so why did you set the book up by tours? Why did I? Yeah. Oh, oh, the Queen book. Um, you know, we batted around some ideas. It just it seemed to just give it a little more context. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you do a book, and well, I talked about the musicians never being happy when they come off stage. <laughs> You know, I'm looking at a book and I always see a hundred things that could have been done differently once it's published. So it's it's a process. It's it's a collaborative process that uh, different people have their say about certain things. But it just uh, I could have gone without the chronological layout, but it seemed like the thing to do. And, uh, you know, I did the book in conjunction with the band. So there's a, a certain level of making sure that we're not too Freddie heavy or Roger heavy, but you know, every band member has got to be represented more or less equally. And, oh, especially and, a four headed monster like that. Exa- exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things to consider. Um, but, uh, that's, it just made sense to do it chronologically. I mean, we batted it, it, around. It worked, it worked for me. Yeah, yeah. It worked for me. So I mean, the fans uh, don't I, give a shit. You know, the fans. Uh, no, actually, to be honest, it gave it gave context. Yeah. Uh, you know, it made me. You know, I was able to see Queen five times, and it was able for me to go, oh, 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 that was this. Oh, and that was that date. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, that was near Christmas, or that was. So it, it sparked uh, my own personal memories, which right, was right, nice. right. And the thing so is, the, I the, remember a lot of stuff of being on the road with them, but I couldn't tell you if this thing happened in 82 or 80 or 78 you know it's all kind of i mean i've spent so much time with them that it all merges into one big fluff ball of queen and me yeah you were you were on every single tour from the the fall of 77 until the last one in 86 yeah the u.s the u.s states yeah the u.s tours well and south america America. and some of the europe uh, and then i yeah we did the you did the uk stuff i did did a gig in munich one one night and i found myself in germany and Uh jerry stickles got me very drunk on uzo the, the Greek shit. Um, Greek. Jesus. Yeah. Oh my God. I think that was the worst hangover of my life. Walking out of the Bayer Escherhof, you know, <laughs> so while looking for something to eat and I don't speak German and nothing was in English. And I'm, I'm like nauseous and sick and disgusting. And, and I see in the distance, the golden arches. Oh Jesus. And I had, in yeah. Germany, uh, that's where you're going. You're going to uh, go to McDonald's. You know, some, some languages are universal. <laughs> what can I say? But uh, yeah, whenever I think of of uh, Munich, oh God, I think of that horrible hangover. Who did the maps? 
I believe Bri- uh, Brian. Were they original? No, from I think the- Brian's dad or one of Brian's parents. I think did those. But, they used but to back do in them. the day, yeah, they used to do them for Brian. So they uh, could for follow. Every tour. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's very there's, sweet. There's okay. a picture of Brian with his mom and dad in the book. There is. There is. There is. Which okay, so that begs the question of uh, there are uh, several pictures of guests in there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the most famous one being Freddie and Michael okay. Jackson meeting each other, yeah, but. Well. Who was your favorite to throw into the book that um, uh, that uh, that you know we, we may or, not or know may well, or may not know? I mean, you gotta love Andy Warhol because it's Andy Warhol. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about someone who just wandered in <laughs> to, to the wrong room <laughs> or the right room. Uh, Hi guys, know, I, I know. Well, how look, are you doing? a lot of people, a, a lot of celebs used to come and visit the band, uh, oh, yeah. especially in New York and L.A. And, yeah. you know, so you never knew who was going to show up. I, I remember Michael and his brothers walking in and they all came over and said hi to me because I'd been shooting Michael since he was like 12, something like that. I remember Olivia coming one night. I remember Donna Summer coming one night. And I remember these people because I, I knew them. You know, I'd done a lot of work with Donna. Um, Meatloaf, Andy War- Warhol, you know, all kinds of people. So it was nothing out of the ordinary to just turn around and see Michael Jackson talking to Freddie, snap, 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 and then I'm off to something else. I mean, I didn't know it was this huge, mm. I didn't consider it a big meeting of the Titans, you know, Godzilla versus Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to say, I got to say the favorite for me, because I'm flipping through it and I'm like, who's that? And yes, uh, you you captioned the 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 the, uh, the photos at the at the end of the book, because it looked like mm. some other rock and roller, you know, holding mm. drumsticks. And I know that you don't just shoot rock and roll; you also shoot a lot of sports. Yeah, yeah well, I've so shot to a find lot of out things, yeah. that that was Diego Maradona, probably at the height of his career. I mean, mm-hmm. probably he is he is the Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. Of, his era he was huge maybe maybe i didn't didn't know from soccer at all i mean to me he was just some little dude that showed up little guy with the hair (laughs) in in an argentine i mean i know a soccer jersey when i see one but you know and then freddie went on stage with the argentine soccer jersey that's a showbiz trick yeah Uh, Yeah. you you know if you're in la you go on stage with a dodger hat if you're in new york you go on stage with the yankees cap Uh, you know we all know those tricks but um (laughs) You know, the crowd went fucking insane. Oh, when he did he come out on stage? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, he, he did. did. Oh, I think wow. it was at yeah. the very end during the encore or something like that. Yeah. So at that point, did you go, oh, he, I definitely should know who that is? <laughs> it's, I'm, not a, I'm not a soccer guy. It's, I could care less, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now, now since we're, we're in South America, it's pretty legendary that wherever Queen went, uh, it was quite the unbelievable party. Uh, but I can't imagine going to South America for the first time uh, in uh, 81. That, that must have been like going to Planet Party. It, well, it was. It, well, wasn't so much part. I mean, it was a it was tough. I mean, I mean, the logistics of doing a tour down there and this is pre cell phones, pre laptops pre any of this stuff, you know, the logistics were challenging to say the least. And, you know, they have their own way of doing stuff down in South America. Everything is kind of manana, you know, we'll get it done tomorrow. Don't worry. It'll get done and things don't get done. And, you know, it was, 
it was a different world down there. And we were the first band to bring all our lights and sound and production and everything. I think Frampton had been down there with an acoustic guitar and a couple of flashlights at one point. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, this was the real deal. And, uh, you know, you have the band's crew, but then you're using local crew in cities because you're putting up a stadium show. And it was, um, well, I think it was called the Gluttons for Punishment Tour. It was, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, very aptly put. So, you know, as look, is there partying going on? I'd be lying if I said no. Am I going to talk about much of that? I'm not going to say yes. Um, but it's all about getting the work done. You know, uh, you, I don't care what you do in your off time, but you, you've got to deliver the goods when you're working. and. Uh, and you're not a member of the band, you know, all those things I like to point out. Um, there was, there was, there was a little partying, but, uh, you know, I was the ringleader most of the time. <laughs> Some of the time. So I, I particularly enjoyed the, the crew photos that, uh, that you sneak in, uh, oh, in the middle of the book. Uh, you know, the roadies that like we, we talked about, mm -hmm. uh, with Cameron's, uh, show, uh, and, and I'm so happy to have found that because, you know, as we were talking about at the top of the show right now, more than anybody, it is those guys who are, are suffering during, yeah. during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And those guys are, you know, I can't do my job without those guys. No. You yeah. Know, let's the, talk a bit about, about the queen crew, well, because the, not only were they just like the best of the best, but they were led by somebody who Legendary. You, uh, actually yeah. came in contact with earlier yeah. on and then uh, found out that you were going to be working yes. for him. And, uh, that would be Jerry Stickles, Jerry Stickles who yeah. I first met in uh, late 68, I believe, or early 69. And he was Jimi Hendrix's road manager. Yeah. Tour manager, road manager, everything. I mean, he was the guy that used to drive Jimmy and Noel and Mitch around in a van in England. Um, and I was introduced to him at a show in Boston uh, that my friends uh, Gary and Shelley were promoting. And I was told, just go see this guy, Jerry Stickles, and he'll tell you where you can shoot from. So I go up to the Jerry Stickles, who, who at the time had this handlebar mustache. He looked like one of those soccer yobs, you know, half out of clockwork orange and just, you know, a guy who just stunk a beer and, you know, you don't want to catch his eye because he'll beat the crap out of you. And I go up to him and I, and I'm 17 or so. And I say, hi, I'm Neil Preston. I'm a friend of Gary's and Shelley's. And I was, I was told uh, that it was, you could let me know where to shoot from. And he looked at me and he said, I've been known to fucking punch photographers in the fucking mouth. And I had said nothing to, 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 to have warrant this, that to, sort to, of reaction. That reaction <laughs> at all. And, um, and, uh, I, you know, I mean, that was the extent of my conversation when they put me somewhere and, and then, but I was, I was petrified, you know, it's like, Whoa, this is the rock and roll business. I'm not so sure I want to be in it. <laughs> And then in 77, when I was sent out with Queen, I was told, yeah, just go see this guy, Jerry Stickles, and he's their tour manager, and he'll set you up with your passes and all. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is that the day guy. I dread. This is the day yeah. I've been dreading, and it's here. And 
I and I I fly to wherever it was on the East Coast to pick up with Queen and and Jerry couldn't have been nicer. And I told him the story about the first time I met him. And he used to love when I told that story, uh, you know, because that was so not him. I must have caught him on a bad day or something. You know, the business was different back then. But um, I he always used to say, tell him the story about when you first met me. Tell this one. Tell that one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, and that day that I saw him with Queen, I, I also said, you know, I'd like to meet some of the, the road crew. And I, I go up on stage during soundcheck before the band showed up. And uh, my friend Ratty, uh, Peter Hintz is his real name. Ratty was Freddie's roadie and, and Ratty was polishing the, the piano. The grand. Just, yeah. yeah, just polishing. It was like a black mirror. It was spotless. And he didn't even look at me. And I, I would go up to him and I said, hi, I'm Neil uh, Preston. I'm going to be around taking pictures for a week or two. And, and he keeps rubbing, polishing. <laughs> and he doesn't even look at me. And all of a sudden he says, do you know a photographer named Brian McLaughlin? And I said, well, yeah, I know him. And he stops and he looks at me and he says, he tripped over a cable and I threw his fucking arse off this fucking stage. And he just went back to shining the, the piano. So don't be way. doing any of that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, it was his way of saying, be careful. And of course it was love at first sight. We became really good yeah. friends and, yeah. and yeah. I miss him. Yeah. And Crystal was Rogers drum roadie who actually called me the other day out of the blue. And they were just, they were the greatest, the greatest, greatest, greatest guys. And so I they couldn't. they basically took their cues from the band, uh, and as the band was so professional, the crew was. Oh so well, yeah. I mean, you know, Jerry was in charge of the crew, and mm. Jerry, look, Jerry went on to work with. I mean, he and Chris Lamb had GLS Productions, and you know, they did Madonna and uh, the Eagles, and and uh, Jerry, I believe, when he got ill the first time, was was working for Paul McCartney. So you know, mm. you're at the top of the mountain. When you're, yeah. when you're Paul McCartney, that's, Sir Paul. <laughs> rarefied, that's rarefied air. I remember yeah. he did Jerry tour manager Elton a couple of tours and, you know, he was the best by yeah. far, yeah. by far. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, and I remember thinking uh, he can't be worse than Richard Cole. Cause you know, yeah, Richard, uh, yeah, road manager. you know, Richard, Richard was, well, I love Richard. He gave me a bit of a hard time on the road, but there were times when he had my back, like uh, one night when they, uh, the, the crowd went nuts in Greensboro and the, the whole tour party had to squeeze in the two limos because uh, the limo drivers didn't want to didn't want to drive the limos because kids were riding outside and they were gonna they thought the limos were gonna be destroyed and Peter tried to buy the limos. Because Peter always had a big wad of cash. Big cash. And then he said, well, "I'll buy the fucking limos and." You know, and the driver said, well, they're not ours to sell. And, <laughs> and Peter, like, Peter got behind the wheel of one limo, and Richard got behind the wheel of the second limo. The band came off stage, all went into one limo. And then the groupies and the rest of the staff and everything went in the second limo. And I was the last one to get into the limos. And and I I come down the steps, and, I, and, and Richard throws me into the limo so i'm now face down spread across three of the most gorgeous groupies you've ever seen 
But when he pushed me in the limo, my camera bag flipped over and all my cameras, rolls of film, everything started rolling down the, the, uh, the loading dock. The ramp. ramp. Right, right. And Richard got out from behind the wheel and helped me pick up every roll of film and every lens. I mean, just uttering the most vile shit you've ever heard every step of the way, but I will oh, never forget it, that. Preston, uh, yeah. Oh, worse than that. You can't keep your shit together. Worse than that. <laughs> worse than that. I, I will never forget that. So knowing the shows so intimately, was there a moment every night where you just knew a great picture was going to come about? No. No? No. I just do what I do. Um, just keep on shooting. Yeah. Um, like I said before, they're giving it to you on a silver platter. So, they, you know, every night, look, every night's different. There, there, there weren't choreographed moments. I've shot plenty of shows that do have choreographed moments. Um, you know, with Jimmy, there would always be a point in rock and roll. Jimmy. Jimmy would do a little jump at the beginning of the third verse, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, Bruce is going to do certain things at certain times. But yeah. uh, I'm just I'm just there to document whatever's happening. I mean, you have to change your camera position and keep yourself interested. You know, if you shoot from the same place night after night, you're going to end up getting the same pictures night after night. So yeah, and that's no good, right? No, right. it doesn't do anybody any good. You know, so you have to just uh, look at it with a different pair of glasses every couple of nights, so to speak, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. way you make pictures that are more interesting. Agreed. Agreed. So 1986, uh, the magic tour, you mm-hmm. go over and you shoot a, a few uh, of the shows. I think you did uh, uh, Wembley. Uh, obviously, you did. Yeah, Wembley, Wembley and uh, I did uh, and Slain. And I think there was something else. Yeah, uh, uh, Castle Slain. Right, uh-huh. right. Um, and did, did, you know, was there any sort of inkling that this was the last one? Or, you know, was, was this just, it seemed like the beginning of, a, of, a, of another round. Yeah, well, it's funny because I've been asked that a few times. And, and I, uh, I don't, well, I didn't know it was going to be the last one. And I, in retrospect, I probably assumed that they'd be coming over the States after that. But uh, I guess there were other issues that cropped up, like Freddie's health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but no, I didn't know it was going to be the last one. Yeah. And um, yeah. it was. And then from 86 to, you know, 91, five years, uh, you know, what, what did you think during that period before November 24th, 1991, when, you know, the world found out well, that uh, Freddie Mercury was no longer with us? Um, I, I mean, I was busy working that whole time. I mean, uh, you know, I, 86, 86 to 91. Well, let's see. I would have been working a lot with Bruce and Madonna, Duran Duran, a bunch of other people. Um, uh, I, you know, I obviously, I, my office used to be right near Stickle's office. So I'd, I'd go over to GLS every once in a while and just shoot the shit with everybody so I knew what was going on, you know, more or less. And uh, uh, so I knew that Freddie was ill and um, I didn't know exactly how ill he was. But, you know, in those days when you had that medical yeah. condition, that was kind you of had a death to keep sentence. It quiet. Yeah, and it yeah. was kind of a death sentence. And, you know, we all know what happened with Magic Johnson and this one and that one. But uh, it's, it's still shocking, you know. 
I mean, the yeah. guy who had so much life to him and so much pizzazz and all that. And, you know, you look at the last videos he did and, you know, am I glad I wasn't around for some of that? Yes and no. I mean, it's the whole thing sad, you know, it's sad. Yeah. And we lost someone very special. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, as you look, you know, as you get older, they all hurt. Every one of them hurts from Freddie to Keith and Emerson and Greg Lake to Glenn Fry, you know, every one of them hurts. And even if it's someone I, I photographed once, like a Natalie Cole, for instance, mm -hmm. even that, yeah. you know, when mm -hmm. Donna passed away, I was shocked. And it's, it's part of life. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? It sounds trite, but uh, there's a, you know, a little piece of me goes away every time. Mm -hmm. So very nice personal forwards from Roger and Brian, but I have to ask, um, though not surprised, uh, the missing John Deacon. Have you have you heard from him at all? Um, no, but uh, I know he's cut himself off of uh, the yeah, Queen. I, I, I really have not. I mean, I know that uh, he's in touch with management. Um, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well. Uh, and I know, as you end the book, uh, Freddie would have said exactly what what you say. It, it's beautiful, darling. It just but needs to be bigger. It just needs to be a bit bigger. Yeah. Well, that's my fantasy of what he would have said. And probably not far from the truth. Um, you know, nobody, as I like to say, nobody liked, nobody loved being Freddie Mercury more than Freddie Mercury, and uh, with all that 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 comes with that persona and um i'm sure he's up there digging it and thinking just that line i'm, I'm pretty yeah. pretty sure of it you know i love the thing yeah. that roger wrote in front you know it's like we had you know oh yeah i, I, had, no I had to write this i, I had to write this so that neil would keep his mouth shut <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's very roger taylor and it's very me so uh, how about this? Were you, were you surprised when it was announced that Brian May had become a, a doctorate in astrophysics? <laughs> I was. I mean, I knew that he knew a lot about that stuff, but but that's uh, that's it, a whole know. nother fucking kitten caboodle, my yeah, friend. I, I mean, mean really. Is... And it's funny because when the movie Interstellar came out, um, I loved it. This is what six, seven years ago, something like that. Yeah, Christopher years. Nolan's right, uh, and I yeah. loved it, and. I happened to be going back and forth on email with Brian and I, I, I said, man, I just saw Interstellar and it, it, it's phenomenal. Have you seen it? And he wrote back, what a lo load of rubbish. <laughs> and I went, what are you talking about? It's fantastic. And, and he's, he's telling me that he went to the premiere and, and uh, he walked out and now he's got a doctorate in astrophysics. So I can't argue the finer points of the story in terms of the physics of it all, but you know, I so I just left He's it too alone. Too close I, to it, yeah. like you are with the with uh, Bohemian. I Rhapsody. left it alone. <laughs> I left it alone. But uh, you know, he's also one of the um, world experts on stereoscopic photography. Stereoscopic photography, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and he used to um, throw me. He used to throw me his stereo camera back in the old days. And yeah. Say. Just yeah. shoot some frames with this, you know, throw it in your bag and just shoot some frames of this. I think there's a picture of it with him uh, holding yeah. uh, the camera. And he published a book called The Queen in 3D. And, in, in and 3D. I, right, that's right. my cover. And you know, yeah. I've got a bunch of pictures inside. So yeah. uh, he's an interesting well, guy. What is next for you? That's a good question. Uh, 
Well, the book's coming out shortly, and uh, I'm involved in a new online photo gallery uh, called Outtake Editions that is only going to feature photographs from a few photographers that have never been seen in any other gallery exhibitions or gallery shows. So we're not trying to be in competition with other galleries, but we're trying to offer uh, the, the fans and the, the collectors some stuff that they have not been privy to 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 uh, be, to be getting, you know, uh, that they've never seen or rarely seen. Or so, but everything is is going to be something that has not ever been shown in a gallery. So we're hoping to launch that mid November, and. Um, then it'll be the holidays, and then we'll be putting on masks again. <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 hard to say, but um, uh, yeah, I've got some ideas of tinkering around with some other book ideas. I mean, I'd love to do a book on the Who. I'd love to do a book on Bruce. Uh, I'd love to do a book on Stevie. Uh, you know, maybe I'm toying with the idea of maybe doing some little mini books, like a series of them. It's hard to say. Um, there you go. Just have to see what what uh, the world brings us. You know, I'm, uh, right now I just want to get past November third. That's the only thing on my mind. The election. Yeah, or yeah. fifth, or whenever the hell it is. It's the third. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because it's uh, like enough of this stuff. But yeah. Uh, so we'll see. You know, we'll see. But I'm not retiring, and I uh, no plans to retire. And here I am. Well, Neil Preston, such a great honor having you with us on Deeper Digs today. Well, my pleasure, and I, um, I hope you, oh, I'm glad you enjoy the books, and uh, I hope everyone out there stays safe. Don't lick each other. Don't sneeze <laughs> on each other unless you, you are very close. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see everyone when we, get, when we get a chance to get back out there. Tonight I'm going to have myself time I feel alive and the world I'm inside out I'm floating around in ecstasy so don't stop me now don't stop me cause I'm having a good time having a good time shooting stars The great Neil Preston, everyone. Please, let's give it up for uh, for him. Uh, make sure you go out and uh, hey, look, we're getting we're getting close to the holiday seasons. You gotta pick up Queen, the Neil Preston photographs. It's three hundred. It's over three hundred pages of just brilliant photography, and uh, it's got a very very sweet, nice uh, introduction um, by both uh, Roger Taylor and Brian May, and. I, you know, I just, I feel so honored to be able to get these books uh, and um, get a chance to, to to dive deep into them. So I hope you guys had a lot of fun with that. So uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the fact that in some weird way, uh, rock and roll might be having another life. 
uh, it's like a fucking cat. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure we're on about seven or eight. I thought maybe we were past nine, but apparently not because social media has uh, given rise to the zombie once again. Um, you know, every few years, uh, you know, since uh, certainly since uh, the, the, the late 50s, uh, you know, people have been saying, ah, that's it. Rock and roll is dead. Rock and roll is dead. Rock and roll is dead. And then it comes back to life. And um, it seems to be coming back to life. I, I think the first thing, the obvious is is the 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 the, the TikTok uh, that I'm sure most of you have seen, if not everybody, uh, of uh, Fleetwood Mac's dreams. A simple little 30 seconds of a guy who's riding a skateboard on an off-ramp with a juice of ocean spray cranberry juice and lip-syncing to Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac's dreams. Well, okay, um, why that? I have no idea. If anybody else does, please let me know. Um, you know, I, I'm a, a you know a big fan of uh, of the Twins. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen that. Um, uh, these two young uh, African American uh, twins that uh, listen to uh, various songs, and they're not the only ones. There's a whole bunch of these guys out there, but the Twins especially did "In the Air Tonight." That caused "In the Air Tonight" to re-enter the top ten. 40 years after it was released. Well, the same thing with TikTok and Dreams. Um, that has gotten to the top 10 as well. Look at what Miley Cyrus is doing these days. She has been on a tear uh, doing uh, covers of various uh, rock songs and killing it. Uh, and um, it's obviously um, striking a chord, not just with us oldsters that, uh, you know, were pining for nostalgia, but the kids themselves. Why? Just because these songs are fucking great. Uh, that, that's why. Uh, and, uh, you know, that never goes away. Um, you know, there's a guy on YouTube um, who um, I love to death. In fact, I, should, I need to get him on the show. His name's Rick Beato, uh, producer, songwriter, studio owner, uh, guitar player, keyboard player. This, this guy does it all, but just a bright guy. Uh, and if you're interested in knowing about the business and knowing about song craft, uh, producing, engineering, uh, and things like that, uh, gear, uh, he, 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 he's really, he's really good. And so that's, that's where I, I'm taking this, this rant from is that he thinks that that rock and roll is really making a big comeback because of social media and uh, a whole nother generation getting a chance to to listen to uh you know this great period of, of music that you know i talk about here in deeper digs certainly i'm exposing in rock and roll archaeology and you know there's there's a level of authenticity um imperfection uh you know that um that uh, an original rock and roll band had uh, as as they were invented the whole thing, you know, starting in the mid 50s and, you know, certainly until, uh, you know, the late 90s, if not the early decade. Don't forget American Idiot uh, in 2005 is the last number one rock and roll album. Um, so until that happens, I, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd call it a phenomenon, but it is definitely on the rise. And I think that's great. And I think all of us feel the same way because you're listening to this show if you are a big rock and roll fan, right? So I'm happy. I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. I hope you are uh, as well. 
so that's it. That's that's what I wanted to rant about this time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, go listen to your favorite rock and roll. You might even be able to play it for the kids uh, because, uh, you know, well, if it's in the zeitgeist, uh, you know, they'll, they'll appreciate uh, that. And let's face it, there's a lot of it to get to. All right. Um, next week, uh, I'll have Jim Pugh, who I promised a couple of weeks ago I would have out. Uh, the, uh, the president of Little Village Recordings, um, small label, uh, but one that is really doing some very, very interesting things uh, and going old school, uh, kind of like what I was just talking about. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm going to do a twofer. I'll probably do Jim uh, first up here, and then uh, one of his acts, uh, Sons of the Soul uh, Revivers, uh, will be after that. Just a lot of a lot of really cool music coming out of uh, Little Village, and I want to expose you guys to that. So come on back uh, for uh, for Jim, uh, and uh, and we'll go from there. All right, okay, that's it for this week. Um, I will see you soon. You know what to do. Keep up the rocking. Digs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.